You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jesper. And I'm Autumn. This is episode 68 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, and we decided to talk about how each of us prepare to write our next book. So this is more about, uh, I guess, sort of sharing our personal experiences and thoughts, processes, rather than a how-to episode. Yeah, and not to mention the times we did it wrong and why we don't do it that way anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I guess uh, we need to think about that too. Yeah, Absolutely. There's a reason, especially after so many books and stuff, there's a reason we do things the way we do them now. And not that they won't continue to change and grow, but we got here for a reason. And I think that's sort of a conversation itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully uh, people will get a lot out of uh, just hearing our experiences here and um, how we screw things up once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) So there should be a few laughs in this one, hopefully. (laughs) I hope so. Uh, Yeah. So so how have you been, Autumn? Oh, good. I'm still still working on my little cabin and building and practicing safe distancing and a little bit of self-isolation, but mostly just because I'm a recluse and I really, I could have lived my life as a hermit, I think, as long as I have a laptop and a good view and a nice place to go for a walk and probably a construction or a building project. Um, Even if it was rock currents, I think I could probably entertain myself forever. I've always said if, you know, they need a volunteer to like go to Mars or something, I probably would be fine with minimal social contact and never just occasional internet, you know, talks home and I'm good. I am fine. So (laughs) I'm just rolling with the punches and, and trying to take this weird world that we found ourselves in and hoping that everyone else is doing well and staying mentally healthy as well as well as physically healthy. How are things over in Denmark? No, it's uh well, it's fine as as fine as things can get, I guess. You know, all the podcasts I listen to are talking about the coronavirus, so <laughs> I really don't want to talk about it anymore. Right. To we'll be honest, skip it. Yeah, that's what I you, for the first week or two, I think I read like every BBC um, news story that I could find on it, and I was obsessing about it. But now I go and I read. Any story that doesn't mention the coronavirus. I just read one about a U.S. multimillionaire who bought the first Bordeaux winery, the first you know non-French owner of a uh-huh. Bordeaux winery. That's what I went and read because, yeah, I'd rather be reading about French wine. <laughs> Something yeah. feels normal there. <laughs> Indeed. But it does come with some, some good things. I mean... Um, because I don't have to drive the kids to school every day, uh, you sort of get more extra time on your hands, which is yeah. quite nice. So I've, I've spent some time thinking about how we could uh, use artwork for our world of Elysium going forward. Nice. Um, so, yeah, we, we uh, well, of course, you know that, Autumn, but <laughs> for the listener, we are in the process of trying to find a graphic artist who can do some, um, some artwork for us. And I, I think it's, 
it's quite an interesting process, wouldn't you say? Yes, it is. And it, it's, it's so much fun, too. I mean, whoa, we have to go and like scroll through dozens of artists and look at some amazing pictures and paintings that they've done. It's, it's horrible. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it's been a lot of fun looking at um, others' ideas and worlds. It's, it's, you know, it's, again, this is why book covers are so important. It's, it's distilling these, all these ideas and putting it into one image. And it's just fascinating and so inspiring to go and look at some of these really top notch artists. Yeah, and there is, of course, differences in, in quality between, and you know, some of them are extremely good and some are, are like, okay, but yeah. but I think it's it's also impressive all the different kind of styles that the artists are using because the more we look into this, the more you can sort of see, okay, this is this looks really good, but it's not quite the style that we're looking for. So, so I think that makes it an interesting process that it's not only about you know, you, you can find a pretty good looking picture, mm-hmm. but it's not quite in the style that you want it, even though there's nothing wrong aesthetically with the picture itself. But it's just like, yeah, it's, it doesn't gel with, with the feeling that we want to get. Um, so I think that's quite interesting. It is. Uh, of, of course, we, we're trying to find somebody who can do professional grade work. Um, and we have a quite a lot to <laughs> that we've gone through i put out a, a few posts on twitter uh asking for you know artists to send links to us uh mm-hmm. with their portfolios if they were interesting uh, interested in in becoming one of our artists so i just want to mention now here in this episode so we so we don't end getting up a new slew of uh <laughs> portfolios sent to us that <laughs> that uh, we've already uh, received all the submissions that we need so please don't start sending us more uh and we are basically going through each of these artists and, and we're shortlisting them now so if when you listen to this uh, this is not a call for you to start sending us uh, stuff so please don't <laughs> <laughs> we will let you know if something changes but yes right now we have plenty on our plates and we're going through quite a long different rounds of interviewing processes and finding out costs and it'll take us a little bit of time to get to finally selecting the final one but i can't wait it's so much fun yeah and uh, and, and because yeah, as I said, you know, with, with a bit more time on the hands, uh, we started thinking about how, how can we put this to use. Uh, of course, images we can use in the books. Uh, we can also use it on the website, uh, which we haven't created yet for our <laughs> fiction, but that'll come. It'll come. Um, and then also, you know, we could also be thinking about creating some sort of collector's edition books of our world, you know, filled with amazing colored artwork. Um, that would be pretty cool. That would so be, we, and I love, I mean, we, we just had that episode where we talked about publishing on Ingram Sparks and yeah, you can yeah, do yeah. hardcover, but I mean, there's a lot of people doing some launch packages that have like note cards and some swag and sometimes even like a whole fancy box. So there's a lot we can do with this artwork. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, we could basically create sort of like a law book with images yeah. in it for, for the world of religion. That would be pretty cool. I've honestly, I have no idea if anybody <laughs> would buy it, but it would be pretty cool to make. <laughs> it would be really cool to make. And it'd be really cool. Like I said, that especially like once we have a trilogy or actually we're planning six books, once we have the whole kit and caboodle having like a really fancy package that you could buy that has some of the artwork and some of this and some of that and it would just be a lot of fun maybe the map it'll be really exciting 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and like in episode 66, so that's uh, two episodes back uh, when I talked to Joanna Penn, uh, we also discussed like multiple streams of income for authors. So so this is kind of the thing to think about, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how can you put, uh, for example, artwork into creating other streams of income, which which prompted me to start thinking about something else as well. <laughs> and uh, because, uh, you know, well, back in the day when, when I was still a young person, uh, story time, <laughs> uh, I loved... Um, I love to do miniature wargaming back then. Uh, And I also did some, I had sort of a shorter revisit back to miniature wargaming, like, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I haven't touched it for a long while, but it's always been something my brother and I, we like to do that together. So it's something we wanted to get back to. But then with more time on my hand again here these days, I started thinking about, yeah, but this kind of artwork that could come into play if we, if we actually created some some sort of fantasy wargaming books re- <laughs> oh, nice. with relating to that, and we could use the again reuse some artwork there, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm thinking to get back into that hobby again and and try to create some sort of system agnostic rule books that everybody can use, no matter what kind of wargame that they play. But then they can set it in the world of Elysium. I think that would be so freaking cool. That does so, sound uh, really cool. So yeah, there's a lot of it's it's always anytime you can find a multiple use for one thing, it's probably a good thing to go for. Yeah, absolutely, and it would it would be another stream of income, and and I'm really excited about this, to be honest. <laughs> a week on the internet with the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. So it was, it was quite funny, actually, uh, and probably, or most definitely, completely by coincidence. But uh, <laughs> to keep it on topic about uh, artists, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Joe Malik posted in a picture in the M Writing Fantasy Facebook group uh, about uh, an image of a woman shooting a bow. Did you see that? I did. I was going to say I just happened to have stand- stumbled upon that earlier, and I was like, "Oh, you know, we're talking about art, and that's the one, of course, that just popped into my head." And it's one of the one. It's awesome that. You know, people share not just writing tips on the Unwriting Fantasy group, but that they're sharing this artwork. And he especially said, um, you know, three guesses to what's wrong with the picture. So yeah. <laughs> I like that because his quote was like, do your homework. People don't accept sloppy research from your artists. So, yeah, I, I agree. It didn't take me long to like notice what was there's some really horrible stuff with this woman with the bow. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know either. You know, the image itself at first glance, like, oh, she looks rad and kick-ass. And yeah, yeah, it looks cool for sure. looks cool until you look at some of the details and you're like, is she just about to whack herself in the face if she actually pulls the quiver? And how is she holding that thing? Is it through her arm? Anyway, so... <laughs> Yeah, there was like uh, five different things. Um, so for the listener here, so so the image is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this woman with a bow, she's sort of shooting out of the picture towards you as the viewer. Yeah, and, she's and got she her teeth gritted cool. and her yeah, hair is It flying. looks really cool. Yeah, it's very um, rough. But, but of course, the very astute authors in the fantasy, am writing fantasy Facebook group were quite quickly to point out the errors <laughs> So just for the listener here, so first of all, the quiver is in the front of the woman. So basically it's obstructing her draw area, which mm-hmm. makes no sense. <laughs> um, 
And then the woman is also drawing the bow horizontal, which is not a good way of doing it. No, your aim is so far off that way. Yeah. And then the arrow is actually resting on the bow a few inches above her hand. And usually you would use your hand to help guide the arrow. Mm -hmm. So that's another slight mistake there. And then the bowstring is drawn in such a way that it rests against the inner arm and behind the arm guard. Yeah. So basically, if she was going to release that bowstring, it's just going to catch on the arm guard. Yep. And then um, it also looks like the bowstring is actually behind the quiver. So I guess it's going to get caught both in the arm guard and the quiver. So (laughs) there's quite a lot of issues there. It is. I mean, to me, especially the bowstring and the quiver being in front of her entire the, the string i'm just like really the quiver and the it's this is gonna be a total she looks angry because man she's in a bad position <laughs> that's <how laughs> maybe she, that's why yeah planning <laughs> to shoot that yeah but that's what's fun with the group i mean they ask questions from you know pulling apart you know fantasy pictures to which is and making it a really good point that hey if you're gonna go pay for a picture make sure you're getting something that you know, some reader is not going to sit there and laugh and laugh and laugh at. But there's some great suggestions in there about, I noticed somebody was looking for a cross between a, a dragon and a vampire and trying to come up with okay, a name. Uh, yeah, so it, there's so much fun stuff going on in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like I like that one as well. And uh, I also thank you, Joe, for sharing that uh, image in, in the Facebook group because <laughs> I, I, as you just said, Autumn, I, I think there is a good point in the, uh, to be made there about the fact that you might be hiring an artist to do some work. And like we just talked about, we have quite a lot of work that we're going to hire an artist to do. But at the end of the day, it is still as the authors, it is still our responsibility to make sure that the outcome is what we need it to be. So yes. if the artist is making mistakes, it is at the end of the day, still your responsibility to check it and make sure that it's okay and there's no mistakes in it. Even though I fully get the argument about saying, well, the artists should do their homework and they should yeah. be no, they should know what they're doing. For sure they should. But you're the one putting out the picture afterwards. So mm-hmm. you need to quality check stuff. Definitely. And, you know, yeah, I think you should both be aware. I mean, even if you're writing the scene, hopefully, you know, you should know how to actually hold a sword or hold a bow and arrow. And it's awesome if you get a chance of course right now with self-isolation you probably can't go take lessons on sword fighting or (laughs) archery but you know you can watch youtube and see how it gets how it's really done and uh it'll help make your fighting and everything else that much more authentic which is fantastic for your writing as well as your artwork and on to today's topic so where do you want to start autumn Ah. with uh uh, how how are we preparing to write our next book? I was gonna say, is that a pun? How are you gonna start your start your writing? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because I mean, we could definitely we're starting together um, our own book, which is slightly different from you know even how well, it's more I think how you plot than how I would normally start off on a book. But I definitely am adapting hmm. some of the things we're doing, and I mean. Let's say I, let's talk really quickly about how you started your first book, and then we're gonna f- see how we got to where we are. I think that'd be really fun. And yeah, so- yeah, 
Yeah, and then afterwards we can also just touch slightly on fiction versus nonfiction because Ooh, how I prepare true. for those two things are also slightly different. That's true. Um, You're much better at the nonfiction. I mean to write nonfiction, but without your help, I don't think I'd ever get there. Or without my husband's help, he's also we've I've written nonfiction, but only with someone else prodding me on. It's not nearly as much fun for me as fiction. <laughs> No, well, uh, as long as you edit all my my mistakes, then uh, I, I can good. write the content. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> no, yeah, but uh, yeah, starting out. So I think I think I might have talked a bit about this on past episodes as well. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first started out, I, I probably did what I think most people do. Uh huh. Uh, in preparing to write the next book. So I just, I came up with something. I thought, well, this sounds like a cool story. Let me write that. And then I just started <laughs> writing. And that, yep. that was it. Uh, and I think that's probably what a lot of people do. I think um, so. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but but it's just, at least I feel like when you're starting out, that's how you end up in the ditch pretty fast. <laughs> and that's where I ended up as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, I do the same thing. I had a short story idea in my head about um, a woman who had elemental magic and I mm -hmm. didn't have anywhere I wanted to go with it. It just wasn't, I daydream a lot. And so it wasn't going anywhere in my day, in my head. And then I happened upon a painting that was sort of Mediterranean. And I thought, wow, I wonder what if she was in that world. And an idea took off. And yeah, I just started writing it. And I think I was in chapter three when I realized I was totally lost and didn't know what was host. It just had some gut instinct of they go here, here, and here. I had a world map because I love maps and I love drawing things. But I didn't know what they were going to do and what was going to happen. And even then, once I finished the book... I had to rewrite it. I had to go back and develop characters. I had to go back and develop the world a lot more. I tore it apart, rewrote it three times. And even once it was published and I realized, despite all of that, I really enjoyed it and I wanted to write a sequel. And I hadn't even considered where this trilogy ended up was going. So I do things a lot different now. Yeah. Yeah, I had a bit of the same problem because, uh, first of all, I didn't quite understand how important the characters were so you know I, I had the overall story i had some you know some gods in mind and i want this <laughs> and that to happen uh, you know they're very like big picture like fantasy kind of thing so i had that in mind but uh -huh. i didn't quite understand how important the characters were um so that that was definitely missing uh and then also like you said, I didn't quite know where I wanted to end up with it. So it was like I had this concept in mind and I just started riding around, really understanding where I was going. Uh, I especially remember the very first draft. I, I probably wrote like 15 <laughs> different drafts, but uh, but the very first one, I started writing. I thought, this is really cool. So, And I'll probably also like maybe three, four chapters in or something. Then the main character got hurt. And mm -hmm. then I was like, ah, how do I then deal with that? Then I came up with, yeah, okay. But uh, then they can just go over here and then, then there will be some healing over there. And then I started going over there and then I thought, but something needs to happen. <laughs> so then when they were there, I, I came up with these kind of uh, weird, like that almost like spirits or something like uh -huh. tree elves or something. I mean, not, not elves like in Tolkien elves, but more like spirit kind of things. Uh -huh. and then I thought, well, they, then, then they can come and, and do something. And then I started writing chapter five with that. And then I was like, 
where is this going? You know, I've become completely <laughs> lost. And then all of a sudden I have these spirits and what, what are, they, they have no connection to the main story I wanted to tell at all. So it's just like, oh my God. So I did that and then I started over again. And, and I think, I think I did that trick like four or five times before I figured out that maybe I should do a bit of plotting. <laughs> <laughs> plotting helps, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird. So, uh, yeah, we've both become plotters. I'm more of a, a hybrid than you are. I mean, now that we're working on a book together, I, it is it is not plotted. I've seen people who literally have plotted down to, I think you just need to add some paragraph breaks and some dialogue and it's pretty much done. So it's not quite that bad. You, It's in a different document and it's probably... I don't know. Some of them, I actually, I know because I copied out of Excel to, because I use a Mac. So I was copying out of Excel because the shell, cells were not working properly on my Mac and I would be putting it into pages, making edits and adding things and then posting it back into Excel before sending it back to you. So I know like the longest um, area might've been 2000 words. So that's, oh, okay. you know, that's, that's almost, almost a, a full chapter. That is almost a full chapter, but you know, on average, they were maybe 800 words. So you know, there's still a lot to hash out, but we definitely, we both do that. And we have both been using the seven steps of story structure. And mm -hmm. I do know because we built this already together that one of the things that I did without even intending to before I wrote my first book is I created a map and we both still create maps before we start writing. And I think to me, I just, the visualization of the world, I can't world build. And if I can't world build, I don't know the culture that these characters are from. So there's, I'm like missing half of what makes these characters unique and related only to this world and this story. So to me, Literally, when I start a novel, especially a new world, the first thing I do is I draw a map. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I have a few steps before I get that far, to be honest. Well, I think um, probably there's a lot of thinking before you get that far, for sure. I don't just sit down with a piece of paper and go, I'm making a world. Yeah, well, it, it does come quite... A, I saw some... I don't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was on Facebook, but I did see... Uh, it's been within the last week I saw some people debating, even if it was in our own Facebook group, I'm not sure, I can't remember where I saw it, but there were some people debating whether or not you were world-building before or after you wrote the story, and uh, and some people were saying, well, I don't understand why you would be world-building before because wow. you don't know what story you want to tell. Uh, <laughs> And and I think I in some way I could say that I land somewhere in the middle because hmm. it, the way that uh, that I prepare for a new story is basically I mean of course step number one is basically brainstorming sort of the topics of the book what hmm. what is it going to be about it's more like high high level concepts like okay is it is it going to be witches is it dragons is it vampires i don't i'm just giving you some <laughs> random things here right but but right. what is sort of the high level concept of it is is it is there like a global war going on are there gods mingling in the world or whatever it is so, sort so of i like try to come up theme. with that first yeah sort of yeah, a almost. theme slash you know the concept you're developing the concept and i think that's it, part of concept, yeah. yeah that's yeah. yeah definitely and uh, and then when I have that, then I usually try to think about, okay, how, how can we do 
that concept slightly different from what mm-hmm. has been seen a million times before <laughs> because of course a book about witches or a book about dragons or vampires is just like yeah it's it's been done over and over and over again i don't i don't want to do the same thing that has been done a million times before but at the same time i don't want to write something so strange and unique that readers have never seen it before because then it won't take either so so we need to sort of find just a new way of doing something that they are familiar with. That that's that at least that's what I'm aiming for. Yes. Oh, yeah. I learned that one from my first one that you know having a few elements that a reader can just accept. You don't have to explain is really kind of nice. Starting off, um, imagining that you're Brandon Sanderson and it doesn't matter what you write, people are going to pick it up and read it. It's not yeah, as easy not when you're not known. Yeah, when, no. when people don't know who it is, it helps to know at least the flavor of the genre and, and know that, you know, you don't have to, it's easier to have dragons than to create some kind of really weird monster and never even mention a dragon. Just, just go with at least, have at least one dragon. Everyone likes dragons. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but I think also that, that that's probably also where I sort of made a slight mistake with my, with my first book uh, or, or my first trilogy. It, it has um, it has dragons in it, but those are probably some of the only tropes kind of things. Whereas a lot of the other creatures that are in that trilogy is some that I invented myself. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, on one hand, you could say that that makes it interesting, which, of course, I, I think it does. But at the same time, it also makes it makes it a slightly harder sell um, because it's not something that most readers are used to, right? Uh, if, right. If, if it was more like, okay, here's, here's elves and here's, here are dwarves and... Um, and then there's one creature here that you've never heard about before. That, that would be different. But, but this one is like almost all the species are something I invented myself with, with their own name for the species that you've never heard about before and stuff like that. So, so some love that and some, some don't, <laughs> but it, it just makes it a slightly harder sell. Yeah, no, I know. That's the mistake we both have in common. And I mean, I did the same thing. I have one dragon and besides that, I have no knights, no castles, no, in fact, the most transportation is through sailboats. So I don't even think I mentioned horses. Um, okay, yeah. It was, yeah, every race, there's no elves, no ogres, no dwarves, nothing. All the races are endemic to the world. I even made up my own fantasy language for the book. And, you know, this was my debut novel. I talk about biting off a lot. <laughs> And it does, you know, people do love that and it's done well, but it's also a lot harder to sell. I I usually have to, you know, tell people, hey, are you sick of the traditional fantasy tropes? Because this doesn't have anything in it like that. You're just, it's so different that there's, I think, eventually in the entire six books, there's one important sword that comes into play. And I added mm-hmm. a few more dragons, so <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. It is. It does no, make it difficult because you, there's nothing there for readers to relate to. You're entering a whole new world, and that's definitely part of the world building stage that you've got to decide if you want to. We we both have decided to maybe aim a little. I won't say lower, but a little closer to center. Yeah, and I, I I can fully accept the fact that there will be those listening who would say, well, it's better to create something unique and, and interesting like that. And, and fair enough, uh, I'm not going to sit here and argue <laughs> uh, for or against. I'm, I'm just going to say that 
most readers are not looking for, in my view, and, and you can disagree and that's okay, um, but in my view, I don't think most readers are looking for a completely new experience that they've never seen before. They like to see stories that are unique in their own right, meaning that it's not like a story that you have read a million times before. They do love that. Mm-hmm. They also love, fantasy readers also love world building. They love to see how you can create new like cultures and settings and all that stuff. But they don't necessarily want to read cover from cover about all kinds of new things that you have to explain all the time. <laughs> what, what the creature, what is this creature and how does it work? And it's great, but if it's just on and on and on about all kinds of new things, I think you're going to be better off writing, just put in your dwarfs and your elves uh, or something, you know, something that you don't have to explain. And then in between, you can sprinkle some new stuff. I mean, we created some new stuff for, for our next series. You know, we have underwater dragons, for example. I oh, think yeah. that's pretty damn cool. But it's not something new in the sense that we have to start explaining a ton about what is a dragon. People know what a dragon is. Yeah. This is these are just living underwater instead. So it's 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 a different way of it. Yeah. Our vampire is actually a dwarf, uh, which is also new. Um, and he doesn't suck blood either. So no. there, there is new elements in there, but but it's it's built upon building blocks that you are familiar with as a reader. And I, I think that is probably the better route to take. But yes. again, you can disagree, dear listener, if you want. That's okay. Yes. But that's how I view it. Yeah. And those are the building blocks. That, I mean, these are the decisions that we're going to use, these more typical things, or build off of these more well-known ideas and concepts. That's something we did before we started writing, obviously, because we haven't started writing the book yet. But even before we started really drafting out the plot. So that's why we're delving into why we chose this. And that's, is this something you do before you start writing? Even my most recent book, solo book, uh, that's something I was looking at beforehand as I was making those decisions. Am I going to have elves or fae or what concepts are there that I want to use? And how do I make them sort of new with without going so far that they are brand spanking news. You know, I only have a couple of brand, brand, brand new elements in each mm. of them. Otherwise, mm. you know, m- one of mine is, you know, I- I'm using seven fantasy races and I'm using ones that people would recognize elves, jinn, dwarves, giants. They're all there. Centaurs even. I've never done centaurs before. That was kind of fun to like get to throw those in. <laughs> but it was something that was, been there before but there's reasons that they're different and unique to this world and whether it's the magic or other adaptations you know i'm already that's at this stage when i'm choosing what i want to use what kind of characters what kind of races i'm already starting to think about the world that they're from and why they would be the way they are and also thinking about the magic to me magic is one of those things where you want to do something new with magic but how magic is one of the most complicated things. I started to develop the rules like at this point, how are, how is magic going to work so that I can start developing the tension and the hurdles that are going to happen in the story? And how am I going to solve them? Because it's to me, it's not a fantasy story if there's not any magic or dragons. I might have mentioned <laughs> yeah. the dragons before. <laughs> well, we don't actually have any dragons at this point in time in our next <gasps> series, so that might be some... Well, we have underwater we have, dragons. I was going to say, we have the underwater but, dragons. We're fine. Yeah, so maybe okay. that counts. We count. Um, yeah, So, but but I, I agree in the sense... Uh, for me as well, I think that the world building... At this stage, you know, so okay, I brainstormed some sort of thematic um, or concepts for the book. We 
at this point, we have also created a synopsis uh, for our book. Um, we actually we actually have an up- upcoming book on story ideas that we're oh, going to yeah. release within the next couple of months, which will explain how at least we go about creating a synopsis. But that is extremely high level. It might be five line of, lines of text. That's yes. So, but at least then we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move into world building at that point in time. And to me, I think this is so incredibly important because... And, and again, people will have different opinions, and that's okay. People have different processes. That's also okay. Um, but the, doing the world building at this point before we do any sort of plotting or outlining of, of what the story is going to be about is so beneficial in my mind because as well as, as you've seen, uh, Autumn, as, as you've gone through the outlines as I've been sending it to you, mm-hmm. it to you, I mean, if we had not done the world building first, Oh, there would, it would be, be so, much- so much I would not have been able to. We- yeah. it, now it's all of it is weaved into all of the chapters, and I was only able to do that because we did all the world building up front. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I would it's have so it's much. Just less. so many inputs. Yeah, so many inputs that we would be missing there. Yeah, it, it's so much more in depth and involved and unique because we did the world building first. And I mean, I saw that when I wrote my first one without having world build built very well is that that's half the reason I had to rewrite it because it was so boring and there was so much missed opportunities <laughs> because I didn't know the world until I wrote the book the first time and that's why I had to rewrite the entire 105,000 words again because then I finally knew the world even though I had my map but it made me realize how much more detail it has to be a living document that you create as you go. And so that's why, you know, we've world built. We did do a map before we really got into some of the yeah. world building. And I think that's partially because having a map and suddenly looking at some of the things like where the deserts are and where the forests are and where there's oceans and where the landscape, then you can kind of, it helps you trigger some things that you might not think about otherwise because you look at the real mechanics and physical nature of a world. And, you know, the creatures that would then evolve there and the customs that would happen after a hundred years of living with a desert that kills you and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool as well. I, I like that. Yes. I like our desert. Oh, uh, I love our it's, desert. It's quite deadly. <laughs> yes. We were having a little bit too much fun when we were world building our desert. <laughs> Probably. Like, oh, I got a new one for you. Yeah. Never go to our oh, yeah. desert. If you can be transplanted anywhere, never go to our desert. Okay. Just... No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how much no, money you I... want. <laughs> yeah, but but I actually it's funny you said that uh, around around not doing the world building for your first week because I actually had the opposite problem. Oh really? Uh, with yeah, because I, well, I love the world building stuff, right? And I love it too much. <laughs> so when I when I was doing my first book, I went all in on world building and I mm. did a ton of it. Um, and I, I thought, you know, as a reflection here later on, I think that helped in the sense that when we put our world building course together, it, that was what was able to influence that world building course because it's like, okay, I think we need to understand what do you need to build and what don't you need to build? Because right. when I did it first time around for my first series, I built everything. It's like <laughs> everything I could think of was built. And uh, I had an insane amount of notes for the world uh, and I used like 10% of it. Oh, that's painful. But it's yeah, so typ- it, it, it is typical though. It is very typical. I think I must have, I was so, I love writing. I think I was just so anxious to get to writing that, you know, I and I wrote it first, so I did minimal world building, and then I realized what you needed to do to world build at least quickly, so I could fix it and put it back in my story. So I yeah. was 
yeah, we were there were about the only thing I think we've ever found that we were opposite ends of the spectrum on. Yeah, I think honestly, I think I spent eight or nine months just world building. It, it was it's insane. I mean, and there was so much material. I mean, of course, I knew every every inch of that world in detail when I started writing at the end of it. But it's like, but it was. But again, when you're first starting out, you know, I I, was, you I didn't know. think about that, that. No, but I wasn't thinking in the, in the sense that. Well, I'm probably not going to use most of this. I didn't think about that. I just thought that the more I know, the better, because then I can explain it and, and I can sort of make it part of the story, which is true enough. But what you then figure out once you start writing is like, you only need the tip of the iceberg for all of this stuff. Uh, it, it's good to understand the other, some of the other elements I should correct uh, myself by saying, you know, it's good to understand a bit more in depth because that actually bleeds uh, through into the story, even though mm -hmm. you don't have to explain it. But you don't need to understand all the way down to the bottom of the sea to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> too much. No. I always figure you need to know something pretty detailed about where each of your main characters are from, and you should know some pretty pretty good details, you know, a little bit below surface level, scratch the surface on any place your characters go. And other than that, you need about three general knowledges about anything else in the world that exists that you're not actually going to go physically see. And then you're pretty much good. You can go right. So <laughs> that was always my kind of quick world building. If you really want to get to writing, at least do that much. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, the world building course, which again, it will be la later this year, hopefully it it'll be out. I know work. we talked about it for a long time, but uh, but th but that will actually lay out step by step exactly what you need to do and what you don't need to do. And as we'll talk you through how to do each of the steps. Uh, so it's it, I think it's going to be insanely beneficial. And that was actually, we followed the exact steps that we put into that course ourselves for when we Absolutely. built the world of Elysium. And, but I guess I cannot quite say how long it actually took to go through the building of the world of Elysium because mm. we were creating the course at the same time. Right. So obviously it took a lot more uh, time because we had to explain everything and how we did it and why we did it as well. So I don't. if you're just going in, you're just following the teachings of the modules and you're doing the world building. I, I'm not, do you have an, a sort of gut feeling about how long would it take autumn do you do what I, i'm not quite sure to be honest i think uh -huh. you if you are determined and you want to get through it you could do it within a month but i think if you know you have it if you're not self if you're doing if you're self-quarantining at the moment oh you know you can get this done in like three weeks but i think yeah. uh otherwise you know two months might be reasonable and maybe a well, little bit more yeah. i i don't i i think it probably depends on how much time you're putting. I mean, if yeah. you're doing full time, uh, it, mm. you could probably do the world building in a week or something and then oh, you'll yeah, be good probably. to go. But if you're doing like one hour here, one hour there, then yeah, maybe a month or something yeah. to go through the modules. Uh, but uh, yeah, concentrated focus. Yeah, a week and you probably have the world, all the stuff you need for your world and compared to the nine month I spent, <laughs> I think that's pretty good. That is pretty good, <laughs> I, I have to say. And I think I even did longer the first time. But again, you know, the first time you're really just figuring this stuff out. I have to say that you spent all this time building the world. I am so surprised you've only written one trilogy. I figured I wrote, I created this world and I know it and I know the characters so well that I ended up with six books. So, and yeah. I, I still sometimes play around with another three. So... 
yeah, you know, once you develop a world, that to me is the benefit is you can just write some books in that world. And so it's worth putting in the time and developing some stuff. But anyway, okay, so we've yeah, done world sure. building. Um, yeah, but I agree. But just one more point on that, okay. because uh, you just triggered a thought oh, in no. my mind when you said that. No, no, but, but no, it was not, nothing bad. But, but it was more to say, actually, I did not go back and write more books in that world because I was so, I felt like I can do something better. I oh, think that's yeah. what I felt. When you're first starting out, you know, sometimes it's like, uh I, I just, once I was done with the trilogy, I, I liked that trilogy. It was sort of the story I wanted to tell. But mm-hmm. at the end of it, I felt like I don't want to tell more in this world, even though I know I'm, I'm wa- I've wasted a ton of effort and time. But at the same time, I, I think I took a lot away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, with the world of Elysium that we built now, we have, have on purpose built it quite large and expanding so that we can write a ton of things in it. We can also write very different stories in that world, uh, just taking place in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It even have like uh, interconnected different worlds through a center, which I'm not going to go into all the details here. I guess we can save that for readers, but but there is a lot of different worlds connected inside the world of Elysium, so to speak. So it, it gives us Lots of playground, and and um, that's on purpose because uh, of the idea for us going forward is that all our books will be set in Elysium. Um, so so we did the world building once now, and we can write a ton of books. We can write thirty books in this world if we want. Oh, easily with no problem. Yes. Um, so so there is like an ongoing benefit of it, but at the same time, of course, if you are starting out, I don't know, you might end up in a place where I did, where it feels like, eh, I don't want to go any further with this. So, so unless you sort of know what you want to do, it might not be a bad thing to just create a smaller world and just write a trilogy and just feel it out. Yeah. Um, I think for a first start, that's not a bad concept is just start with, you know, something small, compact, you can have edges to your map and not worry about what's on the other side and just develop that. So you can get to writing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, I interrupted you before. Oh, that's all right. I was just thinking before we, I mean, I can't believe how you were worried we wouldn't make it to uh, our normal time with this one. And we're already like pushing the end and we are only, we haven't even gotten to writing. So after world building, uh, that's when I think we really develop, you know, our characters more and start doing some character arcs and getting those yeah. nuances. And after that, the seven steps of story structure. So we, we really know where our hurdles and lulls and what's going to happen. And then we can yeah, hopefully then we do write. the full outline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. Then it's a full outline, and and then after that, uh, I put some new batteries in my dictation recorder, and then uh, we're good yeah. to go. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we got through all of the steps, but we actually world build before we do our characters because without knowing, you know, what kind of races and stuff that they're from, we don't know some of their nuances. You could, you could be setting your character up for something totally the wrong type of character for that culture or missing half of what's important about that culture and a lot of tension and really excited things that you only know once you actually develop your world. Yeah, I, I fully understand and respect that there's counter arguments to that, but, yeah. but at least that's how we see it. I mean, I, I could not create either characters or, or the outline without doing the world building first. I, I just don't see how you do it later. Uh, not not if you want a very immersive world. I mean, I understand if you're writing um, 
urban fantasy or something. Mm-hmm. And, and there is only a few sort of world building elements that you need to put into a real real world, you know, modern setting. Then I guess I can see how you could do it on the fly a bit here, a bit there, and, and sort of, oh, okay, there is there is this one part that is uh, fantastical, so I'll just develop that as I get to it. I, I guess I can understand that, but right. I still feel like doing the world building up front makes a massive difference in, in the output afterwards. But but that's that's how we view it, and yeah. it's okay that, that some people will disagree with that. Yeah. As long as we agree with each other, since we're writing a book together, that's Yeah, I guess important. that's a good start. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, since I've written an urban fantasy, um, you know, something set in basically modern times, not this modern, I'm not sure if I'm going to add a pandemic to my story yet, but, you know, it's set just about now a few years before hopefully and um yeah i didn't have to do much world building but i had to think about some concepts some fey things and some historical stuff and throw those kind of things in but for that one i kind of already knew a lot about the characters but i had to think again how to make it unique you still do those concepts and those twists of okay i want to write this type of story but how can i make it mine even though it's set in this world and it's in the urban fantasy genre I want to make it, I call it a fey post-apocalyptic novel. So it's mm-hmm. it's related, but it's also uniquely mine. You pick it up and you got to have to learn a few things like how magic works, works and what's happening in the world. Those are important things to make sure you know before you delve into the writing and before I delved into the really developing the characters and figuring out the rest of the plot, which even when I'm on my own, it might not be as in-depth as when we're together, but... I still run through the seven steps of story structure. I I have outlined the entire trilogy, though actually for this one, it's a series. I know exactly where all the books are at least going for at least, you know, a paragraph to two to a full page about each of the seven steps so that I know really what's going to happen before I really sit down and start writing and going for it. Mm. And all this stuff about seven steps of story structure, wow. dear listener. I mean, we, we're going to release a book uh, in a, in the next month here, hopefully before supper, yeah. <laughs> uh, where we we explain our step by step guide on on how we go about uh, outlining. So you can pick that up once we get that far. But there is also a video on the Am Writing Fantasy YouTube channel about the seven steps, so you can go and look that up in the meantime. And if maybe you eventually, are interested, like in a yeah. in a quick summary sort yeah. of way. Maybe we'll eventually do a more in-depth podcast on it. But for now, there's for at least sure, a YouTube video. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I promised to just touch upon nonfiction as well. So oh, that's right. I, I'll just do it. that before we close out um, really quickly here. So when I'm going about preparing to write a new nonfiction book, I, the, the, one of the first things I do is actually to read a lot of books on the topic that I want to cover. Um, and why I do that is is basically because a lot of the time I have my thoughts on what I want to say. Uh, and it's not that th- those thoughts at all is going to change. And that's not why I'm reading the books. But it's more like those other authors who, who wrote books on the same topic often cover the same topic from different angles. So basically what, what I'm getting out of reading them is, is my, like, oh, okay, yeah, I hadn't thought about this from this point of view. Mm. or um, and, and that just allows me to, when I then sit down to, to write, um, I, I sort of know, okay, these are the things that I should probably think about tackling in this book, right? Because otherwise it might be very one-dimensional mm-hmm. because it's just the way I view it. 
Whereas if I read a lot of books on the topic, I also often end up watching a lot of YouTube videos that, that tackles that uh, subject matter uh, that I'm, I'm going just to get other perspectives about what are other people's uh, angles on the subject matter. It's not so much about their opinions, but it's more like what are the angles that they're going to tackle the subject, uh, you know, where they're coming from and I so always... that I can build in those nuances basically yeah. and not only just reading those other books but um reading the comments and the reviews about those other books and youtube channels because then you see what character what readers like what they got out of it and also where maybe they like hey you never said about this and you're like oh i should mention that then because it help it gives you ideas of topics to put into your nonfiction. yeah So basically, that's what I do first. All right. So I collect all my inputs there, and I write up my notes. And uh, I put I usually put the notes into chapters and subchapters, then where they belong. And uh, once I have that, then it's a pretty messy document, but it's divided <laughs> into uh, it's divided into the areas where I want things, so I know where they belong. And and then I'll, I'll basically just start writing, and that, that's it for nonfiction. All right. So it sounds simple, but it's a lot of work, I can promise you. <laughs> and that's probably why I have yet to do one solo. Maybe one of these days. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, so I think there is a lot of ways people can prepare for the next writing project. But I guess it would, I would actually be quite curious to hear other people, how they go about this. So if if, you know... If, the, if you, dear listener, could leave a comment on this episode or on YouTube, if you're listening to the podcast from there, or even in the M Writing Fantasy Facebook group, I think that would be, I would love to hear other people's comments on how, how do they prepare for the next, to write the next book. Sounds good. So next Monday, Autumn and I will share some personal details as we discuss each of our journeys as writers, good and bad. Ooh. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.